0: vacation, but he will be back in the pulpit next Sunday, August 1, and we just, I know we all pray that uh, God has just given him a restful and rejuvenating vacation time. Let's see, okay, so let's pray. Let's invite God to join us here this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that we are gathered here today to praise your name, to fellowship with each other to gain strength for the week ahead, and Lord, we just ask that you're, you would be pleased with our voices in singing and the message that will be shared. In your name we pray, amen. And let's take a minute to rise up and greet the people around you. Thank you, morning. Mm. <laughs> Hello, Kelly. All right. All right Please join me in the call to worship, which is from Psalm 100 verses one through five. Uh, the reading will be up on the screen, and let's read responsively. All right? Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us. We are his, we are his people, and the sheep of his pastor. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good, and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Amen. So today... Our message is going to be brought uh, from, for us from Josh Mulnick's, and it's like coming home because Josh is family here. Josh is the son of Denise Mulnick's and the grandson of Sharon Burke, and his wife Laura is the daughter of Chuck Anderson, and both their boys are here, Declan and Caden, And they are not only uh, going to, Josh is not only going to give us the message, but they're also going to share songs with us. So they're going to lead us in song. So please give a warm welcome to Josh Molnick's, Laura Molnick's, and Declan Molnick's.
1: I should have just let them handle it, but I silenced it too. Can you hold that for a second? Well, as always, it's good to be back with you guys. Thanks for letting us be here. Just got a few simple songs to to play to start things off. Do you want to stand up for the first couple?
2: Father, long before creation, Thou hast chosen us in love. And that love so deep, so moving, draws us close to Christ above. Still it keeps us, still it keeps us, firmly fixed in Christ alone. change its fashions, yet our God is ever the same. His compassion and His covenant through all ages will remain. God's own children, God's own children must forever praise His name. God's compassion is my story, is my boasting all the day. Mercy free and never failing, moves my will, directs my way. God so loved us, God so loved us, that His only Son He gave. Father, now before Thee, we will ever praise our love, and our songs will sound unceasing till we reach our home above, giving glory, giving glory to our God and to the Lamb. Giving glory, giving glory to our God and to the Lamb.
1: Very good. This one may be a new one to you guys. I'm not sure if you do it or not, but um, just jump in as we go along.
2: It's not my life to live It's not my song to sing And all I have is His For all eternity It's not my righteousness It's not my faithfulness And all I have is His For all eternity And we will crown Him, crown Him King of glory, crown Him Crown Him, Lord of all. Crown Him, crown Him, King of glory. Crown Him, crown Him, Lord of all. It's not my war to win. It's not my way to bear. By his mighty hand, he won the victory. And we will crown him, crown him King of glory. Crown him, crown him Lord of all. Crown him, crown him King of glory. Crown Him, crown Him, Lord of all. It's not my blood, but His. that stands in my defense. And know oh, what love is this that won the victory. Won the victory, and we will crown him, crown him, King of glory, crown him, crown him, Lord of all, crown him, crown him, King of glory, crown him, crown him, Lord of all. We will crown him. Crown him, King of glory. Crown him, crown him, Lord of all. Crown him, crown him, King of glory. Crown him, crown him, Lord of all. Crown him, crown him, Lord of all.
1: Love that song. That was beautiful with everybody singing. Um, I don't know how long you guys normally stand for in your sets. If you want to sit down now, if there's two more songs, you can. Uh, Or you can stay standing. I'm a guest here, so you do what you want. (laughs) (laughs)
2: The great I am, who is forever, laid us foundations with his might. The morning stars all sang together with shouts of joy and great delight. And we were known before created. First born in Adam, then in Christ Who was foretold, the long-awaited The Son of God, our sacrifice He bore our sin and felt our weakness He knows our frame, that we are dust Then like a lamb he died in meekness, on Christ we cast our hope and trust. For he arose, the grave defeating, and with the Spirit we are sealed. Our great high priest is interceding, the hope of glory now revere, and should our song of praise be silent, the very stones would then cry out to God, Hosanna in the highest, let all creation join the shout. All praise and glory to the Father, all praise and glory to the Son, all praise and glory to the Spirit, our holy God is three in one. Out of our bondage, sorrow and night Jesus we come, Jesus we come Into thy freedom, gladness and light Jesus we come to thee Out of our sickness, into thy hell Out of our wanting, into thy wealth Out of our sinfulness into thyself Jesus we come to thee Out of our shameful failure and loss Jesus we come, Jesus we come Into the glorious gain of thy cross we come to Thee Out of our sorrows into Thy balm Out of Thy storms and into Thy calm Out of distress into jubilant song Jesus we come to Thee Out of unrest And arrogant pride
1: Jesus
2: we come Jesus we come Into thy blessed Will to abide Jesus we come To thee Out of ourselves To dwell in thy love Out of despair Into raptures above Upward forever On wings like a dove Jesus, we come to thee. Out of the fear and dread of the tomb, Jesus, we come, Jesus, we come. Into the joy and light of thy home, Jesus, we come to thee. Out of the depths, of ruin untold, into the peace of thy sheltering fold, ever thy glorious face to behold, Jesus we come to thee, Jesus we come to thee.
1: Okay. All right. I guess I'm up. I'll grab my stuff here. Um, And if you guys tried this, you would have a new appreciation for Pastor Dave (laughs) playing and singing and then preaching. So I apologize. I'm probably going to have to take a few sips of water. Thankful to be here. Like I said, um, I'm going to stand up here. I know Pastor Dave typically goes down there, but I kind of have some stuff I need to spread out, so um, it's always humbling to be back here with you guys in the church I grew up in. Uh, a lot of you people saw me uh, go through the most awkward years of my life. Maybe not. I might still be in them. I don't know. i still be awkward some days, but um, it's humbling to be up here. Thankfully, it's not about me. Um, it's just about God's word and whatever, whatever we talk about, whatever I put forward, hold it up to that. Um, uh, it's, it all has to be looked at in the light of God's word. What I say of my own authority uh, has no effect. So I think uh, I'll go ahead and read the passage and then we'll pray. So if you would turn with me to Genesis 3. Um, yeah, I think it says 6 through 13. I'll just go ahead and start at verse 1. Uh, we'll read verse 1 through 13 in Genesis chapter 3. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. This is God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that we are able to come together here as a body to lift up songs to you, to lift up worship, to meditate on who you are. I pray that as we look at your word now, Lord, that, that I would speak it uh, truthfully and clearly. Father, that um, you would open our eyes to see it afresh, to see what you have said and how you've revealed yourself, and that you would apply that to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, when I first started getting opportunities to preach here several years ago. I started at the beginning of Genesis, chapter 1, verse 1, and we've been working our way through, and it um, happens about once every year, every year and a half. So I intend to keep going through Genesis, uh, and we'll just keep, keep taking a passage at a time until we, until we get there. Uh, but you might want to read ahead, okay? So don't wait for me. Uh, but By way of quick review, let's just look at some of the key points of what we saw uh, getting to this point because we're not too far in. Genesis is the the book, the foundational book of the Bible, right? It's the seeds, it's the beginnings for everything else that's going to come afterwards. It sets the stage for the whole unfolding story of the Bible and God's interaction with man. And we see that first God forms this world, he forms it perfectly, and he fills it, he fills it with vegetation, and then he fills it with animals and uh, plants and human beings. He puts man here to reflect his image. Uh, And and we see specific details of the account of him creating man, right? He creates man. uh, He gives man commandments. Man exercises his authority over the animals. We saw him name the animals as a first exercise of authority. And then God says, yeah, but man's not going to be able to do this alone. He needs help. And so from man, he creates woman, right? And he joins them together And creates marriage. He institutes marriage right there in the first couple chapters of the Bible. And then he commands them to fill the earth and subdue it. So fill the earth, what's that? Family. God institutes family and marriage right in the opening chapters of the Bible. He's putting a structure in place for how they are to go out and subdue the earth. How they're to be under rulers underneath him. To function under his authority and and take care of his creation and reflect his glory. But we don't make it very far until we hit a problem, right? Last time we looked at Genesis, the beginning of Genesis chapter 3. And that is the temptation and the fall. So when we get to that part, we see that Eve is tempted by the serpent and she rebels against God. She puts herself in God's place and says, I'll choose what's right and wrong. And we talked about how she should have responded to that. And this is probably the most important thing I can emphasize. I kind of wanted to just preach on this again. I could preach on this every time because it's so important. And it's so important, especially today, as, as things around us become more and more unclear. There's more and more confusion, more and more division, more and more argument. Um, the line of Scripture, I don't know who was here. If you, if you were here, maybe you remember it. But the line of Scripture is a concept that we should remember, it's foundational to everything. It's, how, it's foundational to how we read the Bible, how we understand it, how we apply it to our lives. And it's simply just this, that God's word is the standard for, for everything. God's word is the standard for right and wrong, for how we're to live, for how we're to operate. And it's like a line. We want to see what's there. We want to follow that line. We don't add to it, right, by commanding extra things or constructing our own um, legalisms, but we don't take away from it either and say, you know, get rid of the things that we don't like or that are inconvenient to us or irritating to us or confusing to us. We stay on that line and compare everything against that. It's the, it's, it's the concept on which everything else hinges as far as me talking and, and everything we're going to look at. So, uh, and, and we don't, and obviously it's hard for us to do that perfectly. We have the Holy Spirit's help to do that. And, but Jesus did that, right? Jesus followed the line of scripture. If we're, familiar with Jesus, if we're reading what Jesus said and what he did, he's constantly drawing from the Old Testament, you know. If you just read through and you don't ever look at your cross-references or you don't kind of think about the other things in the Bible, you might miss it. But he's constantly drawing from the Scripture of his day, which is the Old Testament. And so Jesus always goes to the line of Scripture, and and he explains it. So in him, we see Scripture applied. We see how it functions today, right? So he's our pattern. He's what we're to follow after. And to do that requires humility, it requires faith, sometimes it requires repentance, and uh, it requires diligent study. But as we, as we saw, Eve did not follow the line of scripture, right? She, she allowed the serpent to twist what God had said, and she allowed that to be twisted in her own thinking, and she put herself in God's place. So that, that brings us to our passage today, and we're going to kind of focus uh, kind of on verses 7 through 13. In Genesis 3. Um, Before before I go into that, I'll just give you sort of a summary statement of of what I hope that we'll see here, and I'm just going to read it so that I I don't mess it up. Adam and Eve rejected God's authority and were separated from him, unable and unwilling to seek God. Rather, they hid from him. Even so, God extended mercy to them. So we're going to see in our passage that they reject God's authority. They reject not just his authority over them, but even in the structures that he has in place for how they're to, to interact and operate. And they're separated from him. They no longer have this right relationship with him. But even at that, and as they hide and try and get away from him, God comes to them. God initiates salvation. He initiates mercy towards them. So after this lie of the, of the serpent, what is the great wisdom that was promised, remember? Where, where is it at? The serpent says, your eyes will be, your, you'll be as God, right? He promises that they'll, they'll have this wisdom. And what do they find out in verse 7? They're naked, right? Far, far from being gods, far from being like God, their innocence is gone and they're ashamed. Right? Just, just a, a couple verses ago in Genesis 2.25, we, we read that they were naked and not ashamed. And now in this act, their, their uh, communion with God is fundamentally changed and separated. And what's their first response to this problem? They're going to fix it themselves, right? They're going to fix it by cobbling some leaves together and making some coverings, okay? Which, by the way, do you you ever think of this when you get dressed? You ever think that when we wear clothes every morning, it's a reminder of Genesis 3, right? That's not to say that we should become nudists, right? I don't want to play. Modesty is a good thing, and it's commanded biblically because we live after the fall. But it's a reminder there is a separation there. Something changed fundamentally. We weren't created that way. Just something to think about to remind you of Genesis 3 when you're getting dressed in the morning. So how effective were their outfits? What do we see in the passage? What happens when they hear God coming? They hide, right? God says, where are you, Adam? And Adam, what what is his response? I was afraid because I was naked and I hid. So even with his fig leaves on, Adam knows he can't stand before God. He's exposed, right? These fig leaves aren't going to do the trick to cover him. And he hides them on the trees. So this makes me think of, my mind goes to maybe weird places. I guess it's just from life experience and things. But have you guys ever seen like the cop shows or like military video where there's an aircraft up and maybe somebody's running through a field or they're hiding in the woods and law enforcement or military have different types of infrared, right? They can see. And you can see the little green person or the little red person moving around in there. It's kind of what it reminds me of. Like Adam and Eve think they're going to go hide in these trees in God's own creation. And man now has the technology to see human beings hiding among the vegetation. How much more, how much more is the God of all creation going to, to know where they're at and what they're doing? They can't hide from him. And it, it really makes me, it, it really sounds similar to something in the book of Revelation. Okay? It makes me think of this so the Bible's amazing it's all connected together and and I love this particular passage because right here we're going to see how the beginning connects to the very end we're a few chapters in now we're going to go all the way to Revelation and go ahead and start turning to chapter 6 if you would um, in the book of Revelation Revelation's a complicated book Um, there's a lot of a lot of different understandings of the end times I'm not going to go into that right now okay my mom can tell you and my my family we've had all kinds of different discussions there's a lot to get into there right But regardless of what your stance on the end times is, the book of Revelation is looking forward to a final judgment, right? That God is going to finally judge everyone, and and Christ is going to return. And ultimately, there will be a new creation. In in, uh, Revelation chapter 6, let's look at verses 12 through 17. I'll just go ahead and read that. So I want you to see this in the text. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. The kings of the earth and the great ones, the generals and the rich and the powerful, everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains." calling to the mountains and the rocks. Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? A very powerful passage. Do you see the tie to, to Genesis here? At the, we have in the beginning God showing up and mankind running and hiding. Right, Man's running, trying to hide from God because he knows his relationship to him is wrong. And in the book of Revelation, we have the same thing. God shows up and man hides. He flees from him. And what are they hiding from? From the mean God of uh, Exodus? They're hiding from the wrath of the lamb. This is important because I think that sometimes, I think sometimes um, th- that we, we get so excited about God's graciousness and mercy as we should, that sometimes we want to say that the God of the Old Testament is sort of Nice and, and, and friendly, but the God of the Old Testament is just very mean and violent. Um, and that's not the case. That's not the case. God is consistent. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He has many different attributes. He, he does certain things in certain situations, but we can't break apart his attributes. Right? He's always who he is. And he's consistent with himself. So we see him coming in Genesis 3. And, and actually, I would say in this case, in the Old Testament, in Genesis we have a more merciful picture than we do in Revelation because he comes to them in the cool of the day. Some pastors and commentators, if you, if you look at this phrase, would, would suggest that this has kind of a, a connotation of being uh, a gentle appearance, right? And then maybe God is even manifesting himself in the wind to them. It's a gentle appearance. He shows up. He, he's, God has been in communion with Adam and Eve before. They know him. They've walked with him, and he shows up, And he gives them the opportunity to come to him, which they they don't, and we'll talk about. But he extends this opportunity. He doesn't show up and kill them on the spot, right? Like he said, when you eat of it, you'll die. And he, he, he shows mercy, all right? But it also looks forward, this hiding, this running and hiding, looks forward to this same problem that continues throughout human history, this separation from God. Right? This man's running and rebelling against God, rejecting God's authority. And when it gets to the end, they're going to run and they're going to hide and, and there's going to be no escape. God's wrath will be poured out. The time for gentleness will be gone. So this passage sets, really sets the stage. Genesis 3 really sets the stage for, for the rest of the Bible. And the rest of the Bible lays out this solution. right? And not to get too far off our passage, but I want to be sure we all see the gospel in this. Genesis 3 shows us this problem of our separation from God, and, and there is no, be, as we go along in the story, we see there's no being made right with God without his wrath against sin being satisfied, right? That's what's happening in Revelation. It's what happens at the end, but it's also what happened at the cross, right? God's wrath against the sin of those who would turn to his son, who would repent from their rebellion and follow him and trust in him was poured out in his son on the cross. And in connection with our passage in Genesis, it's no accident that Jesus died naked on the cross. Have you ever thought of that? We, we portray him, you know, with a loincloth in, in movies and dramas and pictures, and again, rightly so, because he's our Lord. But remember when you think of that, he died naked, taking upon him our sin and our shame, just as Adam and Eve are trying to cover their shame for themselves here, Right? So in the cross, God's wrath against the sin of those who follow Jesus is satisfied. So in this sense, when we look at Genesis 3, when we look at this separation, this hiding, we should see that it serves as a warning, all right, um, that we can't hide, that there's an ultimate judgment coming. And this is something we can discuss with people. This is something we can, we can point out. I love that in Genesis, we don't have to wait till we get to the Gospels to start telling people about Jesus the problem's introduced right away. So we can be talking to to somebody from anywhere in the Bible and point them to Christ because that's what the Bible does and that's what Jesus says about it himself. So, and aside from the warning that Genesis 3 is about uh, a picture of judgment to come, a warning against that, it's also an illustration of God's patience, right? There is mercy. There is time. But we also see that man's not a seeker of God, okay? Okay? So let's give God the credit for, uh, for initiating this mercy. Because do we have any indication of repentance in Adam? In this, in this back to our Genesis passage, I'm going to turn back to Genesis 3. Um, there's, no, there's no indication of repentance in Adam's response. I apologize, I have to take one drink here. The singing and... Uh, So God shows up, we're down a, around verse 11 here. God shows up and he asks Adam, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree? So this is it's kind of, there's some humor in this. And God's pointing out the obvious, right? Adam, you've been naked all along, right? You think, you, what are you doing? You're busted, right? You've rebelled. You've rejected my authority, and now you're caught. So instead of confessing and taking responsibility, what does Adam do? Passes the blame, exactly. He points to the woman that you gave me, this is really a problem. <laughs> I mean, Adam is, is, is really blaming the woman, but also insinuating that maybe it's God's fault, right? It's anybody's but his. We're going to look at how that stands up here. But does this sound familiar, parents? <laughs> this sounds familiar. Even if you only have one kid, if they're playing with a friend or somebody else. And I, there's been times when, um, well, anyway, I won't. My boys are here, so we all know, right? We all know, and even if you aren't a parent, you know that uh, everybody wants to pass the buck, right? This is a, this is a human nature, and it's, it's a bad thing. So now I have a question for you. Um, when God shows up for the questioning, where does he begin? With who, who does he start with? He starts with Adam, And even though though Eve sinned first, so why? We have to ask ourselves why. This gets me into the part where, quite frankly, I can't tell you guys how many times I've I've thought about how to present this part and how many times I've reworded it and restructured it because quite frankly, I hope to come back and preach to you some more. Okay, (laughs) I'm thankful for this opportunity and I know I'm a guest. And it's not my intention to inflame anybody, but... This is in our passage, and in some places, what I'm about to go into would get me not invited back, okay? So, but it's there, and I, God has laid it on my heart to just, to just speak plainly about it. Um, so all I ask is that we remember the line of Scripture, that you don't worry about what I'm saying, except that I'm going to provide you some questions, I'm going to provide you some passages. I'm going to suggest some of what I see there, and I ask you to look at it and see, see what you see in God's Word, Okay? Because, because I know also that I'm guilty of this. There are so many things I think that we think about that, we, that we've just adopted from the culture around us, from our life experience, from what we might have heard, and maybe, maybe we've just sort of absorbed them over the years and never stopped to think about it. Maybe we never really looked at the verses and how some of them tie together and said, hmm, I need to submit my understanding to this. So, that's a big, long introduction. I just, I just want to be clear that I'm asking you to look at this, okay? So please be engaged with me. I would say uh, what I see here, God knows the serpent is the instigator, right? He knows Eve ate first. So why does he start with Adam? And I would say because he put Adam in charge, okay? He put Adam in charge. This doesn't mean that Eve had no responsibility, in the matter or, or that she was was not smart or was not capable it simply means that Adam had a broader responsibility okay he had a responsibility to lead and to protect and he didn't do it he sat by passively and let his wife sin and then people he, he bought into sin he rebelled against God okay as God's creative order was overturned let, let me show you this see if you can see this in the text I want to show you this flow. So remember at the beginning I said God created man and he gave him some commands and then man starts exercising his authority. Then God creates woman from man to come alongside him, right? And he joins them together and he puts them in authority over the earth and over the animals. So we have this flow from man to woman to the rest of creation, right? This this sort of structure. What happens in Genesis 3 when the serpent shows up? That's reversed. The serpent goes to the woman who sins, who goes to the man who sins. God's flow, that order that he instituted, is turned on its head and goes backwards. So so I'm asking, with that in mind, does it say something about how God approaches a situation when he shows up? What does he do? He puts that flow right back the way he had it. He starts with the man. I don't care that the serpent... uh, uh tempted her. I don't care that she brought it to you. I'm starting with you because I left you in charge. And it flows from man to the woman. And the serpent, he doesn't even get to answer. Right? God just pronounces judgment on him. Okay? Because he's in a separate class. God extends mercy to human beings, right? to mankind. But God puts that order back. So here's, here's another question. This is where it starts to get into uncomfortable territory. Okay? I understand that. If this was significant in the garden, was it just significant then, this flow, this structure? Or was it just significant when Moses wrote Genesis? Well, as my pastor says all the time, and as I think I've said to you guys before, the best commentary on the Old Testament is the New Testament, okay? Which simply means if you want to understand the the Old Testament properly, the best way to do that is to see what the writers in the New Testament say about it. These are the writers, the apostles, the disciples of Jesus who are explaining how Scripture applies to us and to the church and to to life today, right? And and to the world and how we see it. So what does the New Testament say about this structure? Maybe you'll be surprised in light of this. So uh, turn with me, if you would, to Romans 5. There's just two more passages to have you turn to. Romans 5 and then one more after that. Romans 5. And uh, I'm just going to read verses 12 and 17 to keep us moving. I don't have... We're not trying to take apart the whole passage, but I just want to illustrate something here. So in Romans 5, verse 12, Paul says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. Okay? He says some more things, and then in verse 17 we see, For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man in Jesus Christ. And in between 12 and 17, he has, uh, he has, Paul has mentioned Adam by name as the one man who death and sin entered through. So how can Paul treat Adam this way, right? We saw that Eve sinned first. Does he have this structure in mind? Does he have God's approach in mind to where maybe it's not just that two people sin, but maybe it's the whole fact that God's authority structure was rejected. Does Paul have this in mind um, in Ephesians chapter 5 and 6? You don't have to turn there, but I encourage you to read that later. Ephesians chapter 5 and 6, when Paul explains how the family is to operate. Is Paul thinking of this created order, this structure that God put in place? And then we'll turn to 1 Timothy, if you would, because please turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 12 and 15. This is one that you just need to, to look at yourself and I just want you to look at the text and see what it says. See what Paul's saying. First Timothy, chapter 2. I'll just do 12 through 14. Because again, we could talk about this passage for a long time and much has been said about this passage. But I want to point out just a simple aspect of it, okay? Paul says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet for... Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Paul's giving an instruction about authority. He's giving actually an instruction about authority in the church here. And what does he tie it to? Look at verse 13. He says, for or because. He doesn't say, because we live in a fallen world. And he doesn't say, because I live in first century Israel, and I'm writing this, he says, because Adam was formed first, then Eve, is is Paul thinking about this structure that God put in place? I I would submit to you that he is, but that's a question that I hope that you can go to his word and and look at if you have questions about this. Also, um, I would be happy to talk to anybody afterwards. Like I said, I understand that that there's... uh, argument or disagreement sometimes from people over these verses, but it has a meaning, right? We have to agree that everything God wrote has a meaning. Um, And so we should be diligent to find out what that is. Um, So I have some, quite a few thoughts. My closing thoughts ended up being really long. (laughs) Um, Why is this important, though? This is important because the whole world around us rejects God's authority, right? We know as individuals, we reject it. We, we're aware of our own sin. But in a, in a bigger picture, the whole world is, is in rejection, rebellion to God, right? We can see this. We've seen madness play out over the last um, you know, year, year and a half, just recently, a scaling up of some of this, right? In our, in our culture, in our society, in our country, around the world. But it's not just a new problem. It's not just like, oh, things just got bad today. They got bad back here, right? Back in Genesis 3. But it continues, right? It's pervading. We can see it abundantly all around us. And so, if we're going to be Christ followers, it's important for us to look at what he's instituted, look at what he says is best for human beings and what he's designed for the flourishing of his people, of families and of churches and of society, right? And we are to submit ourselves to that and we're to proclaim that. So, this is very important for that. And Man, I, I could, if you guys want to stay for a couple more hours, <laughs> I really had to curb this in. There's so much to say about the family, right? Now, the, the family is under attack today, like just, just boldly at every turn, okay? And, and like I said, those first two institutions that God designed are the family, right? Marriage and then children, right? Men, husband and wife and children a trinity of sorts, right? A structure to reflect how God wants people to go out and subdue the world and rule over it, right? There's a purpose for why he designed it that way. Cool. Um, so let me say some specific things in this passage, okay? I've asked you to see in, in, uh, in these passages <clears throat> God's responsibility, God holding men responsible. <clears throat> Sorry. So there's a lot of things that I wanted to say to the men, but I just God put a burden on me to speak directly to to all of us men. All right, we have a responsibility to God, to our wives, to our children, to our churches, to every role and position that God has placed us in. A responsibility to take responsibility. All right, not to shrink back like Adam did, not to pass the buck, not to not take the blame to own up to whatever happens within the positions that we're put into and to take the lead on that, to take a responsibility for it. I'm not saying that everyone should be up here like me, okay, preaching. That's, that's not what I'm saying at all. Everybody has different gifts. And, but you don't have to have it all figured out and be a theologian, uh, which I'm not, or, or be a pastor to lead your wife, to lead your kids, to to lead in the positions that God's put you in, to lead in your church. All right? You don't have to be a, a pastor or theologian to do that. You're called to do that. You're designed to do that in whatever gifts that you've been given. And by the way, let me be quick to say, the three people that know better than anybody else in this world, my leadership failures are sitting here today, my two sons and my wife, Okay. But it's not about us being perfect. It's about us being obedient. And I'm, I'm standing up here to point you to Christ, to point you to God's word. Christ is our example, okay? He shows what it means to lead. Um, in simple terms, like I said, we could talk about what does this mean to lead, to take responsibility, or, or to lead our families, but in simple terms, it means to take responsibility, okay? For, as far as our passage goes today, it means taking responsibility. And that extends just beyond the family, too. But it's so, that the family is so central to this passage and so central to God's design. If you guys will bear with me for a few more minutes, I just want to put some application to this. And, and these aren't the best. I probably could have found better statistics. But, um, and again, statistics, you know, take them with a grain of salt. But there's a serious pattern here. I'm sure you've heard similar things, but I just kind of wanted something to, to point to as an example. So I went to fatherhood.org and there's a bunch of uh, statistics about fathers. So again, not limited to fatherhood, but let's see what happens when men abdicate their responsibilities. Children living in a female-headed homes with no spouse present have a poverty rate over four times higher than for children living in married couple families. Pregnant women with no father support are more than twice as likely to lose their pregnancy pregnancy as a pregnant woman with father support. So there's better health for mothers and for the health of the pregnancy just by having a father involved. Infant death within the first 28 days of life is four times higher for those with absent fathers than those with involved fathers. That was surprising to me. Kids with absent fathers are seven times more likely to become pregnant as teens, more likely to face abuse and neglect, more likely to have behavioral problems, more likely to drop out of high school, more likely to abuse drugs and alcohol. Individuals from father-absent homes are 279% more likely to carry guns and deal drugs than peers living with their fathers. Men with absent fathers are more likely to become absent fathers themselves, and women with absent fathers are more likely to have children with absent fathers. You see the cycle of destruction that is perpetrated when men abdicate their God-given responsibilities. God has called us to be responsible. Now, That's just secular statistics, right? That's not even taking into account the substance of the father or what's going on in the home. That's just a father present. Can you imagine the blessing from a father who's present and leading spiritually, from a husband who's present leading spiritually? Can you imagine the blessing in the home and the blessing in the church, the blessing in his community to the people that he interacts with? Uh, I heard another statistic. This this I heard in a podcast, and I am wrapping it up here, but... um, So I don't know how accurate it is and I couldn't find where it came from that this person cited it from. But take it for for an estimate. The estimate is that in homes where a mother comes to Christ, in a a non-Christian home where a mother comes to Christ, about 17 or make it 20% of the time the whole family becomes Christians. The statistic for homes where a father becomes a Christian is apparently around 90% that the whole home follows Christ. This is not a knock against women. It's, it's a point towards God has instituted things to work in a specific way, right? Women, you have lots of responsibilities, and we can talk about that, right? That's whole other sermons, and it would take a long time to do all of this justice. But I want us to see how just it's in our passage. It's important, and it's calling out to men, okay? God calling Adam on the carpet is him putting us on notice, We have a responsibility. So what can you do? You're not going to do it perfectly. You can't control everything. Uh, You can't control everything your kids and your wife think and do, right? We understand that. And you're not supposed to. That's not the point. But you can pray for them. You can pray with them, right? You can open God's word with them. You can open it yourself every day and grow and grow and grow in a knowledge of it so that you have something to give them in conversations so that you set a pattern for them so that they they understand what's important to you, right? And that that may become important to them. You can engage them with questions about what they're struggling with, about what questions they have, about what they're joyful about. You can sacrifice for them. Expend yourself to provide for them, not just physically, but spiritually. And sometimes you have to make the hard decisions, too, and not blame your wife if it turns out bad afterwards, all right? The buck stops with us. So I'll leave you with one more thought. Um, maybe these are new to you. Maybe, maybe you all agree with me. I don't know, but uh, not with me, but I'm giving you what I understand the text to be saying. You have to come to an agreement with God's word, right? You have to subject your understanding to what does that say, just as I've had to do. But one other thought for you in this regard, just because I feel like it's so contested today. It's so offensive to people for me to stand up here, to, to some people, to many people, for me to stand up here and call men to be leaders, to say that you're responsible for your house. God exists as a trinity, correct? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Which one is more God? They're all equally God, right? They're all, which one's less valuable? All of them are equally valuable, right? Do they all do the same thing and function the same way? No. They, they are equal in value, and they're different in roles. And that doesn't devalue any member of the Trinity. As a matter of fact, it's, it's a beautiful portrayal of the unity that God has in himself, right? So a question for you. And, w- and without this, what if the son didn't submit to the father? What if he said, I don't like that role? We would have no salvation. What if the Holy Spirit didn't work in us that way? And say, no, I'm not going to do that. I want a different role. There'd be no spirit of God operating in us, Right? This is a good thing. It's a reflection of the image of God in creation when we have roles. Do we think that God would have structure within himself and, and not give any to us? A question for you. So let me read this last thought as a point of application um, for you as you move forward and you pray and you study and you meditate on this. <clears throat> uh, just kind of summarizing everything we've talked about. All of the Bible is the story of God creating the world mankind's rejection of God and separation from Him, and God's subsequent restoring people to Himself through Jesus Christ. In that restoring, we are not just given a ticket to heaven. God is shaping and fitting His people for a place in His new creation. God's people are to turn from their rebellion now and follow Him, to see the world as He sees it, to order their affections and thoughts in accordance with His affections and thoughts, and to submit to His authority and to honor the design He's put in place for the benefit of human flourishing and to reflect the image of him. I'll say a prayer. Father, we thank you for this time. Lord, I just pray that uh, whatever has been said here that is honoring to you and that is true as much as it holds to your word, that you would apply that to our hearts, Father, that you would give us eyes to see and and, um, not just eyes to see and ears to hear, but that you would put your spirit into us, that uh, we would put these things into action in our life, Father, not through our own strength, but in a reliance on you. We see that you came to Adam and Eve in the garden mercifully, even as they fled from you. We thank you for your mercy, and uh, Lord, I just pray that, that we would all cling to you and turn to you and look to you for our strength and salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Wow, thank you so much, Josh. It's always a pleasure to hear you preaching on and wrapping everything around family because it is so important in this broken world. It really is. It absolutely is. And praise God, we have a God that supports the family in the way he does. There's a lot uh, happening around Grace Reformed Church. I know yesterday we had the Jesus Giveaway and i I wasn't able to be there but i saw some pictures and i know that kelly's very pleased with the turnout and with the volunteers so thank you all very much for your your all support for this project yes thank you yes exactly round two so we still need volunteers to come and help on Saturday, and we'll still need luncheon, yep, luncheon items and help uh, setting things up Tuesday and Thursday night six to eight. right? So it's an exciting uh, ministry. It really is. And it's joyful to see the people come in and realize that they're not having to pay for any of this, that they can have those needs that they have supplied by all of us. It's wonderful, wonderful. Also in the bulletin, there's a lot of folks that are uh, listed that need your prayer, struggling with cancers, struggling through treatments, struggling through surgeries and recoveries. So please remember them in your prayers. And let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your love and mercy, for your Son came to save us from this broken world and Lord we just know that you are here and present in our families in our husbands in our wives and in our children through Jesus and through the word of God through the Bible we thank you Lord that we are able to come together and celebrate and help each other for we know that that is what Jesus wanted us to do help each other That's what we're here for, to praise God and to help each other. Lord, remember those that are suffering in our church. We ask for healing, for comfort, for strength. And we know that you are always with us, and we praise you for that. In your name we pray. Amen. Yeah, sure. Over there. She's good. (laughs) Oh wonderful. Yes. Good. Hey. Thank you, Jan. So we're gonna have Josh and his family come up for one last song, so please rise.
2: Bless the Lord oh my soul oh oh my soul worship his holy name sing like never before oh my soul I worship your holy name the sun comes up New day, dawning, It's time to sing your song again Whatever may pass Whatever lies before me Let me be singing when the evening comes Bless the Lord, O oh my soul Oh, oh my soul, worship His holy name Sing like never before Oh, my soul, I worship Your holy name You're rich in love, you're slow to anger Your name is great, your heart is kind For all your goodness I will keep on singing Ten thousand reasons for my heart to find Bless the Lord, oh my soul, Oh, oh my soul Worship his holy name. Sing like never before. Oh, my soul, I worship your holy name. And on that day when my strength is failing, the end draws near, my time has come. Still my soul will sing your praise unending Ten thousand years and then forevermore Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh, oh my soul Worship his holy name I worship your holy name, yes, I worship your holy name, Lord, I worship your holy
0: name. May the strength of God sustain us, may the power of God preserve us, May the hands of God protect us. May the way of God direct us. May the love of God go with us today and always. Amen. Have a good week.